It's Just Business with Steve Thomas and your host, Chris Larry. Welcome to another episode of It's Just Business on the Hogstide Network, the show where we look at the dollars and nonsense of the sports media business industry in all of its glory. How are you doing today, Steve? <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. So one would think that Chris is maybe giving a hint of possibly what we're going to talk about today with his You know it, brother. How you doing, brother? Where are you doing? It's just, it's just business podcast. That's making my throat. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't do that. I can talk in Kermit the Frog for an hour. I can't do Hulk Hogan for an hour. <laughs> you don't remember that, but we did. I did back, you know, the early days of the Hogs. It was a lot sillier show. And I did like, I don't know, half an hour as Kermit in one of those shows. And it finally got to a point where it's like, I can't, I just can't do another minute of Kermit. Because <laughs> you know? I can do Kermit pretty well, but it like, you know, not for an hour. <laughs> I got through like five seconds of Hulk Hogan. That was it. <laughs> yeah, no, you gotta you gotta use some parts of your vocal cord that you don't don't normally use. Uh, yeah, we're not we're not gonna keep up the bit. Although I will say, so we are. Yes, we're gonna talk pro wrestling, Vince McMahon, all of it. You know, there's like about thirty two storylines with them right now. Um, but this is kind of it turns out a bit of a pro wrestling day for me because I'm gonna I think I'm going to go see this afternoon. In the theater, uh, that movie, The Iron Claw. Have you heard about this? I, that is one thing I thought about going to go see. I don't know if I'll have time this weekend, but I'm not a wrestling fan at all. But it looked interesting, so you're going to go see it. I believe so. I, for reasons I don't want to bore our audience with, I'm sort of stuck alone and solo. So I was like, oh well, why don't I go see a movie that you know nobody in my rest of my family will ever even entertain seeing? <laughs> your, yeah, your wife and daughter will not <laughs> want to see the wrestling movie. <laughs> no, so I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go see the Iron Claw. So there's one showing at the mall theater closest to where I'm at that I'm gonna go see if I can't hit. You know what I recommend is Godzilla minus one. I know, I hear that's great. I have heard that. It was good and it, it took me a while to realize what the minus one part meant. Um, but it was a great movie. So the minus one, because they make no reference to it in the movie. The minus one is a reference to Japan being at ground zero, at zero, right after World War II. And so what they're saying is with the appearance of Godzilla, now it's Japan has sunk lower, fictionally, as minus one. But the movie is really good. There's no agenda. There's no stupidity like Disney does. It's just a great story, you know, decent movie. So I recommend Godzilla minus one. Yeah, it is kind of the super hit. And it got nominated for, uh, I think, effects, I believe, in their recent Academy Award nominations. See, I have a rule, a general proposition, that if a movie is nominated for an Oscar, that means it's a terrible movie and I shouldn't see it, for the most part. There are exceptions, but that's my general rule. You're even extending that to the technical categories? Yes. Damn it, yes. Absolutely. Oh. All right. Well, you're nothing if, you're nothing if not consistent, Steve. Um, <laughs> I saw Oppenheimer. And it's like you know, it, the, the first two hours are interesting. The last hour of it is the denouement that didn't need to happen. You could, I could have summarized the last hour of Oppenheimer in a scrolling screenshot of 30 seconds. That's all we needed to see. So, no, Oppenheimer is not a great movie. Yeah, I have no, no real interest on that one. Um, but I am going to go see The Iron Claw. So, Steve. 
the, so lots going on. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday morning, so it's within 12 hours, basically, of news breaking that Vince McMahon is now out again. Um, although we can break down how this makes sense because he's now resigning from TKO, which is a company sort of, I guess, above or that envelops the WWE. The parent of WWE. Yeah. But so he's just in trouble. But that company has been in the news a ton, uh, including the kind of gobsmacking almost $5 billion Netflix deal. So where, where do you want to jump in, Steve? Do you want to be the most newsy and just look at, at old Vince's trouble and then back it up from there? Yeah, I was going to start with Vince. So we go back like a few months ago. I don't know what, six months ago maybe or something. We did briefly a story about how Vince McMahon had resigned uh, from his position and whatnot. And we universally thought, both of us thought it was a bit. And it seemed to kind of be a bit because – he returned a couple months later and was right back in it and, you know, doing all his Vince McMahon nonsense. Well, this one doesn't seem like a bit. So if you want to, there, it's all over the place, but where you, Chris and I both saw this kind of independently was ESPN. Vince McMahon resigns from TKO day after ex-employees lawsuit, Mike Coppinger, uh, January 26th. So what this says here, and by the way, he's 78 years old, but a former employee filed a sexual misconduct lawsuit somebody named janelle grant who i think is appears to be a behind the scenes person says works in wwe's legal and talent departments alleged that mcmahon forced a sexual relationship on her passed around pornographic pictures and videos of her to other men including other employees and so she has sued him and um the, her allegations is that it started in march of 2020 the lawsuit, which I have not pulled and have not read yet, because this we just saw this last night, it says it includes several text message screenshots purportedly being man asking for depraved sexual acts. And no, I do not have what that means, what that meant uh, for the more base among you. Um, but he immediately resigned on this, which would kind of give you a hint that perhaps there's some truth to it, number one. And number two, it just, again, it seems like this is more real than the other thing your thoughts it yeah well i agree and it's also cumulative right so um i mean the in the article that we reference and that you, you can get as a link in the show notes um you know does go back and kind of revisit those earlier cases so you also start to build like kind of momentum in this as a, a trend uh with with vince mcmahon yeah it was interesting it looked like the last time what actually happened was an independent group or lawyer, or whatever, somebody estimated how much of the company's money Vince used for payoffs and hush money, tallied that up, and then I think it's something in the neighborhood of 16 million, and then made Vince buy back, basically, basically pay back the company coffers, and he walked right back in. This is all around the same time that this merger with the ufc right am i getting my acronym yeah, right? no that's the, correct yeah that's correct the, the merger with ufc was happening that this then created which we also talked about and which is yeah. pretty you know is a big business story and really kind of is sets the table for what's going on now in a way because tko now is that parent company as we mentioned and that's actually what he's stepping away from i think it would technically where you know he it was is. in some kind of leadership so or the lead 
So also, there's this. So this isn't just Vince's WWE world at this point, either, right? So there are other players. In fact, you know, The Rock. You know, can you smell what I'm cooking? Is joined the TKO board, and actually, I saw kind of a funny clip of him on um, first take where he's basically saying he's going to go do another WrestleMania. He's, ba- you know, so that looks like, you know, as a board member of TKO, he's going to be a proactive participant in that growth in this new company. And so does all of this, you know, you just wonder what the kind of boardroom level machinations got us to hear with Vince. I doubt that these were just 12th hour allegations that sunk him. No. Yeah. So by the way, this, the first thing happened in July of 2022, so it was a year and a half ago, not six months ago, like I said. But but here's the thing. This is a publicly traded company. Uh, you know, and, and so there, there's a limit to the amount of drama you can fake when you're talking about publicly traded companies. Because you're going to – if you do not, you know, nonsense and pull stunts like that, you can open yourself up to shareholder derivative lawsuits, you know, FCC or uh, um, SEC – complaints you know potentially if you're jerking around with people's stock prices by you know faking things like this and so i do think this one is more real than the others um and again like you said with the the presence of tko which is ufc um it's just it's just another another level here and and the thing is like you don't need vince mcmahon to run the business you can get a lot of people run the business vince mcmahon's real value was that he himself was a part of this fictional storyline and people loved him at least loved his character um and i think that kept him around far longer you know than he should have because you just can't have this i mean it, look it's no wonder this guy's buddy buddy donald trump i mean they get in trouble with the same kind of nonsense uh, you know it's the same exact allegations um so it's more than time for him to go um the company would would be better off having somebody more professional in charge and being the public face of it. So I think they're doing the right thing here. Now, the statement, Chris, you want to do the statement in the voice? He he. <laughs> the, the ESPN, the ESPN column published the statement, and we both thought it was an hilarious statement. If you just look at it from uh, picture Vince McMahon in front of a camera between wrestling matches and going over and doing this here i'll try it go for it i'm just trying to get it in front of me yeah it's on it's on it's in the middle of the espn story so here's the statement now picture tears like over the top tears with this i stand by my prior statement that miss grant's lawsuit is replete with lies obscene made-up instances that never occurred and is a vindictive distortment of the truth I intend to vigorously defend myself against these baseless allegations and look forward to clearing my name. Pause. However, out of respect for the WWE universe, the extraordinary TKO business and its board members, shareholders, partners, constituents, and all of the employees and superstars who help make WWE into the global leader it is today. Pause. Dramatic pause. I have decided to resign from my executive chairmanship and the TKO board of directors, effective immediately. Shocked silence from the people in the room. Drop mic, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's his statement. And it's a fairly average statement in terms of writing, but when taken into the context of that this guy has lived a fictional life for the past 50 years, 
uh, you know, roughly, it's I think it's hilarious. Totally. And when we talked about this sto- story, I guess a year and a half ago, it, se- I agree, it seems like not that far long, far away. Uh, but time is a flat circle and all that. But um, it was really it felt still like a, a McMahon story. Remember, the wife was involved and the daughter and blah, blah, blah. Oh, it was all the you, people have been playing along for years. Right. They'd all been on camera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now this you do really kind of step back and it's a different board game, board game. And you even read this article and there are much less, right? There's much, there's the old, but what I did find interesting to your point where, you know, his real genius was actually the, you know, the, the, the writer, the, the, the lead Barker, you know, basically the creative driver of WWF and then WWE. Um, in fact, just change, just surviving that brand change, you have to give him credit for from a business standpoint. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, but a year and a half ago, one one real change that I think is actually a little bit under discussed here is that he hasn't had creative control since then, and that has actually gone over. Now, still, we stay in the family. It's this uh, son-in-law uh, who is famous wrestler Triple H has been the one that's actually been the creative driver. So that that piece had already been transitioned. And, you know, we've seen we've seen no less interest in wrestling, no lack of creativity, no great groundswell of, of fans complaining. In fact, we have a pretty good data point that wrestling's doing fine considering that the Netflix deal is up to five billion dollars. So that would that would tell me that wrestling as a product is uh still is still viable and that Triple H apparently has driven that creative car fine since Vince was pushed out of that. Well, yeah, you don't need Vince McMahon to develop storylines. You get some Hollywood creative writer types in the room and, you know, boom, there you go. And Triple H, maybe he's one of them. But the best reason why we know that this is legit, this is the lawyer guy coming in, you know, in me coming out. This lawsuit by this woman, Janelle Grant, is a real lawsuit that was filed in federal court in Connecticut. Now, you don't, one thing you don't do is file phony lawsuits in federal court. Federal, ju- especially fe- in any court, but especially federal court. Federal judges are humorless. You know, and if you file something that's just nonsense and to, you, you can't just file a nonsensical lawsuit that's, that's without basis because it's a wrestling storyline. You know, you're going to get sanctions. The attorneys who did it, you're going to get, you know, you could get your, you know, put your license to practice law at risk. So the lawsuit, it, it, it's it's a real allegation. Whether or not she can prove her case is another matter, but it's a real allegation. So I think that by itself shows that there is some truth to his conduct that is not just a storyline, probably. I mean, it, again, I'm not saying what she's... This is not a Me Too show here, you know, Believe All Women show. It's What I'm saying is she's made a legitimate allegation against him um, that kind of lends some credibility to the other stuff, other stories about him. That's what I'm saying. And the story does allude to physical evidence, right? Text messages, screenshots, blah, 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 of of what she's alleging. No, who knows? None of us have seen it. Doesn't feel like I'll it I'll try to pull it and we'll maybe we'll do it on another on another show. Right. So but they are they are feeling pretty confident about what they have this from the way that this is reported. Um, what do you think, Steve, about, you know, I, I kind of was blown away by this Netflix news on two fronts. One, we've been, well, not just we, everyone's been predicting that at some point Netflix is going to start to dip their feet into live sports. Um, and we've talked 
many times about the value of the WWE, you know, and their, you know, and, and covered different business stories about their growth and their market and different media deals that they've gotten, which we've always sort of been surprised at their size. And this one just feels like a, a tidal wave. So I'm sort of surprised that this would be, this is Netflix's first thing. Maybe the low stakes of it already being fake by design. But then with that price tag, I just, I, this surprised me. You're not faking $5 billion. No. <laughs> you know? So the Netflix deal, it, it mentions this in the ESPN story. Um, it's $5 billion, but I'm trying to see if you remember. I think it's, half, it's $500 million a year. Yeah, I think it was 10 years, 500 million, so there you go, so half a billion a year. Um, Yeah, no, that really surprised me. Um, You know, Netflix seems to be drowning in cash, number one. I mean, where's all this money coming from? I mean, how many things can they buy? I mean, how many subscribers do they have? Um, You know, with no advertising revenue on these things at all? Well, no, that's not true. They have ad. Now, you the lowest Netflix subscription is has ads. Oh, it does. Oh, I yeah. didn't realize that. Okay, that may mean I'm paying more than I need to for Netflix. Um, but anyway, um, it surprises me how much money they're putting in. But yeah, I think even and Netflix has historically gone kind of overboard sometimes. And you know, the money they pay people, they've paid like comedians tons of money for for uh, stand-up comedy shows and they, they paid Brock and Michelle Obama some ridiculous amount of money for stuff me, mostly people nobody watched. I mean, and, and it's not political. I'm not getting political on it. I'm just saying they've done that and there's been many others. And so th- it, to some extent, this is kind of another thing by them. But $5 billion even for Netflix is a ton of money. Um, I think for me, I think in my head, kind of minimize the impact of wrestling on the entertainment world because I'm not really much of a fan of it. And so I don't pay attention to it. But they mention in the column that the the Raw, you know, the show Raw is is there is a huge draw and their biggest draw. And so I think the idea here is they're going to put Raw on Netflix streaming live and bring that audience with them. But I think the Raw show has a much bigger impact than I'm giving it credit for. There have been some executive shakeups at Netflix, and some of the executives that sort of oversaw a lot of those blank checks, you know, whether, you know, if it was TV showrunners or different things have exited, um, but they are doing fine. Um, th- th- you can make a case that they won the streaming war already because now all the other streamers are licensing their content to them. Um, so sort of shows that, you know, net- they all came home to Netflix in the end. But... This one surprised me. The strategy doesn't surprise me, right? So we want to experiment with doing stuff that's live, which, you know, that's without a net. That's like antithetical to what Netflix is, right? So that's a, and it's a big production, it's a big cost. So there, but there's, but this is the lowest stakes thing, right? High stakes to see if you can pull it off, if you can bring the audience, can you actually produce a live event? Will the consumer even equate you with a live event? You know, there's a lot to overcome, so you do it with something like wrestling, which is fabricated by design and common understanding. And it's like this high reward, low stakes type of thing. That strategy makes sense to me. I just, I just, you know, and I'm not, 
I don't have the real numbers in front of me and, and I'll, you know, if anything's at that price tag, I'm going to believe that both sides see that it's worth that. But I would never have thought you'd put that kind of price to, to that kind of strategy. It also tells me that somebody like Netflix, I don't, I don't think is in the running for like a piece of the NBA deal that'll come, you know, that's going to get negotiated soon because they must not have their, the confidence that they can pull that off if they want to practice with something like the fabrication of pro wrestling. Yeah, but are you calling that practice though? I mean, pro wrestling, I, th- I think the ratings in NBA are down right now, and pro wrestling is up. So I don't know if it is, but maybe this is just what they could get a hold of. More I so just think it's because, you know, if the stream goes out or whatever, it's fake. The, what you're putting on live is fake, right? So yes. unlike something that's happened that we're like, you know, a game of any kind, it's sort of the, I don't even care, or, or, uh, or news, right? The, the the confident the consumer's got to know that that's going to stick right so i i do understand i don't think it's about popularity even i just think it's about one's fake and okay fine it's live great is a half step towards this is live and second by second it matters what's happening yeah i mean maybe that's fair i i think netflix sees the future next netflix has been pretty visionary i mean if you go all the way back to the beginning of them uh, you know they had a business model that everybody laughed at and blockbuster video laughed at them you know more specifically and obviously look what happened uh, you know um they put blockbuster video out of business and so i think in this case um netflix is seeing that because the streaming so there's so many streaming services now they haven't been able to license the products the 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 shows and the uh events not events they haven't been able to license the shows and the movies that they really wanted to for a long time so i think in order to compete they have to to get into sports and live stuff and yeah maybe okay so this is the first you know dipping the toe in the water and i think your point is because it's scripted you can kind of control the circumstances and the time and they know all of that it, you know so maybe this there's is less impact. variables maybe it's them practicing but i also think there's just a component of what's available right now you know the nba has done their media deal you um no, they haven't done their media deal. Yeah, it's coming up, but yeah, but it's coming up at the. But the baseball deal isn't open now. The NFL deal isn't is is not open, and so there's not really anything to do. So they get Netflix, or um, Netflix gets busting because they can't. It's a tell to me. I mean, we'll see. I think it's a. If I'm like ranking, you know, because we look forward to the NBA deal, some version of Warner Discovery and. Um, ESPN, uh, and when I say Warner Discovery, that means TNT, by the way. Uh, and so Disney and Warner Discovery will get chunks of that deal, which is status quo. And then most people are predicting there are slots, maybe three and four, where either like an NBC could come in and like do like a Peacock deal, or you get one of these pure streamers. If I'm ranking those now, I would I would move Netflix down the list of probables given this move. Oh yeah. Oh, you think? Well, I mean. Why, though? Because the money? I think this is where they decide to spend their money, and I don't think they have the confidence that they can give those leagues what it needs as a live broadcast partner. I mean, there was people, there was legitimate holding of breath about Amazon's Thursday night package, you know, because the expectation is is a clean viewing experience, right? You're, you know, so, and now they, and when they, once they prove they could handle that, 
that was like a game changer, I think. But I don't know if Netflix has their own confidence in that. So to me, this is what they spent their money on. Yeah, that may be fair. I mean, some they've got to be able to trust that Netflix can do it. Uh, you know, um, hmm. well, the, you know, the easy thing about the Amazon, of course, is they're just kind of duplicating what's already been done. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're literally just kind of taking the same broadcast and. You know, they just had to can the network handle 30 million people watching one thing. I mean, did you see that that Peacock game was literally like set a record for band? Yeah. I mean, so those I'm talking about that that like they didn't have, you know, like, can this actually work? technically and and, and it, apparently it can yeah no i did see that and and um i'm trying to simultaneously find the vince mcmahon lawsuit in pacer while we're talking if those of you <laughs> wondering what the clicking is this is now me going i can i should have done this last night at 10 o'clock um so if i can pull it up here while we're talking i'm just trying to find my password um yeah i, I mean Netflix called this hidden pardon me you think Netflix called this hit in? Like you got to get Vince out? You know, open <laughs> no, I no, because it, it, I mean, I know you're kidding, but it's not. It shouldn't be lost on anybody that this is a publicly traded company, and you don't mess around with things like that for a publicly traded company. If it was a, still a private company, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, maybe so, but not because I'm telling you, you don't want to open yourself up to, um that uh, you know it's too many sec problems and all of that so no i do not okay um let's see by the way he's 78 years old i mean when is this guy going to be done now maybe can now we <laughs> <laughs> well maybe yeah i mean <laughs> can anybody uh what is he doing you know like seriously i don't get it um, I don't know if there's anything more to this that we can say about the wrestling story. Um, what do you think the, 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 uh, UFC thinks of this? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of new players that are like, you know, when it was just machinations of the McMahons, you know, they could move money and, and blame and, leadership around you know over family dinner but you know when you got the, the netflixes and the tkos and the ufcs and all these other multi you know huge partners they don't want to see their investments their money messed with and i i think that i think they've got to be that's why i'm not going to let go of the fact that this that, that there are moments of orchestration where this was the this was always going to be a version of the outcome which was he he would get exited i don't know man i mean again i yeah but i still can't get past the fact that this is a real lawsuit this is not something you fake um this is not something you mess with so i the last time yes but i just can't i can't i'm not dead. i don't mean they're i don't mean they're faking it i mean that the other corporate partners always had a way which they knew oh, that Vince McMahon could not be involved with this much longer. I mean why, that. Why would anybody want Vince McMahon involved? Right. So this, this. So this was all. You know, these these were all negotiated pieces. Okay, I've, I have now found the lawsuit. 
Does it have all the pictures? And well, I'd say it's it's opening. I'm view document. So here we go. If I had a better computer, this would take a slower, shorter amount of time. Here we go. Okay, now it's coming up. All right, complaint. So Janelle Grant. So this is filed in. Uh, the U.S. District Court for the District of Connecticut. The defendants are she. So she sued the Worldwide World Wrestling Entertainment Inc., Vince McMahon, and then John Laurinaitis. Tell me again who John Laurinaitis is in the story. But who is John Laurinaitis? I've forgotten. I'll see if I can find it. I have n- don't remember. Okay, while you're doing that, um, it's the plaintiff Janelle Grant as a former employee of WWE was a victim. Uh, this is paragraph one from the petition who was a victim of physical and emotional abuse sexual assault and trafficking at wwe miss grant is filing this lawsuit not just to address her own suffering but also to act for those who are afraid to speak out uh she says mcmahon lived in a penthouse duplex in miss grant's apartment building the two met in march of 2019 when miss grant was dealing with profound grief and struggling financially on top of that, she was unemployed and her family home was lost in her parents' bankruptcy. Her family passed away. Ms. Grant dedicated herself to finding gainful employment. Okay, and this goes on to say that basically McMahon kind of... What, what this is implying that McMahon is preying on her, a vulnerable woman in a time of need, basically. That's what she's alleging here. Um, says he demonstrated increasing lack of boundaries. He greeted her in his underwear, touched her repeatedly, asked for hugs, spent hours sharing intimate details about his personal life, asked to keep their closeness a secret. After succumbing to the pressure for a physical relationship, Miss Grant was slotted to an entry-level position. So she's saying that once McMahon finally slept with her, at that point then, he agreed to employ her. Temporarily relocated to the XFL for a while. McMahon began sharing sexually explicit photographs and videos of Miss Grant, including pornographic content he recorded. So he's she's alleging that he recorded sexual encounters between the two of them and then passed it around to people at the WWE. Classy, if true. I'm going to flip through. It's 85. I can't read all this on the air. So I'm going to flip through to see if there's images of text messages here. Um. Yeah, there's a lot here, obviously, and I can't read this live on the show, of course. Okay, uh, let's see, factual allegations. By the way, John Laranitis was the uh, former head of talent relations and general manager. So, basically the uh, talent uh, lawyer, you know, the lawyer for dealing with the front of the camera folks. Okay, I tell you what, th- this is way too much for me to do this on the air like this. <laughs> So let, let's move on, and and I'll kind of keep. If there's if anything comes up that's really amazing that I see, I'll bring it up. All right, sounds good. So uh, we have time. Let's see. We have a little bit of time left. We can jump away from this uh, life inside the squared circle. Um, Kobe Bryant's foundation, the Mamba Foundation, I believe it's called, right? Um, I might be they, Mamba and Mambasita here. Let's, yes. Before you get into it, let me give the site here. So um, we saw this in Sportico, 
and the column was called Kobe Inspired Mamba Foundation Amasses Little Cash, Masses Cash But Spends Little by Daniel Libet, uh, January 16th. And it's the Mamba and Mamba Sita Sports Foundation. So go ahead. So basically, they take here's the long and the short of it. As a nonprofit, they've taken in a lot of money, mostly due with licensing deals to their stuff in their own uh, existing corporate universe and licensing and whatever. Those are the chief income as well as donations and apparently uh kind of a was anonymous and then identified 10 million dollar donation so they're bringing in revenue uh as a nonprofit would donations licensing deals etc and then giving away hardly any of it um which has gotten them into some hot water and more importantly probably got them into their legal uh tax status being threatened um in a way that would make this much less of a uh, a uh shell laundering uh profit center i don't know if i would call this laundering so much because that would imply that they're spending the money they're taking the money and spending it in nefarious ways this is more if true more like negligence you know like they they you know they they got a ton of money um you know upon the death tragic death of kobe bryant and his daughter and so they got all these gifts and they haven't done anything with it It, you know the the laundering part would mean that the wife is like spending the money on you know something you know like a car well i would argue that they're laundering money to the support staff so there's a 200 legal one law firm same law firm that represents multiple Kobe estate issues. So to me, the laundering is they're taking in the money through these nonprofit ways, and then they're using that to pay their overall bills. So legal accounting, I would argue that this is a way for them to use the nonprofit to pay for things uh, and take it off the books and then they pocket more money in those other corporate interests because it's the same. It's the same folks. So to me, they just build two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to that law firm and they wash it through the nonprofit. It could be. It depends on what the bills are and all of that. So the amount of money we're talking about, according to the column, um, they have apparently spent. The, the the foundation itself has spent four hundred eighty one thousand nine hundred fifty three dollars uh, on program expenses um, included in this legal what you're talking about two hundred fifty thousand two hundred fifty nine dollars accounting one hundred ninety three thousand eight hundred fifty four dollars and then the the compensation for the guy running the place Conlon one hundred ninety eight thousand seven hundred ninety nine dollars and so listen I mean. $250,000 is a lot of legal fees for a foundation that's done relatively little. Yeah. You know, there's been no lawsuits. There haven't been major property acquisitions. You don't need a ton of lawyers to contribute to something. You, you would if you're going to, you know, you're going to, if the foundation is going to be like a grant participant in a grant to build a school or build a basketball court, you need lawyers to do that. But $250,000 is a lot for that. So I think that's your point. Um, yeah, I've, give, it, I, I've given away, as, so in my work as a program officer, a number of stops, which is basically the people that make decisions and then process the grants, give the money away. Um, $250,000, $500,000 million grant, First of all, I'm using mostly templates that are already pre-approved from the lawyers, right? So I'm using tooling that already a lawyer is paid for. We probably paid for five, six hours of time, right? And then on top of that, um, 
if they're needed at any one point, we're, we're, we're counting that in hours. So if I may be using at maximum five, let, I'll even let, I'll just be like a drunk sailor, 10 hours of legal time uh, to give away half a million dollars. So, you know, if they're giving away pennies compared to that, you know, I fail to see that you'd need that kind of legal fees. And I understand the licensing and some of that is to manage the money coming in, but that sort of speaks to this, you know, I just believe that Kobe Inc. or whatever, the estate of Kobe Bryant is washing their bills through this, which is kind of low stakes. It's not like, it, you know, like in the end, what do we talk? What do we tallied up that those professional fees that they list? It's like a million bucks. Well, yeah, I mean, the the column alleges they spent $481,000 and change. Right, and a million dollars to process that. I mean, 10 hours isn't a lot of time to do something like – if there's like a grant agreement that's a major agreement for a lot of money, 10 hours is not a lot of money, a lot of, not a lot of time. But even if you bump it up to 50 hours, uh, you know, for some major, major project or 100 hours, it's still not anywhere close to – this i mean i i've i've managed million dollar grants and we have not touched 10 hours of legal time yeah i mean it, it depends on what we're talking about if they're involved in a real estate deal that's another matter like i do these every Fair. day if yeah. it's you know because that's a ton of time and money i mean it's what i do but, but yeah just like a simple grant we're going to make donate they're cleaning up basketball courts yeah and so there's that should not be a ton of time can i divert just one moment sure <laughs> so, the McMahon petition does have screenshots of text of text messages in here. And some of them are so vulgar, I don't want to read them out loud. But I'll read part of the first one. So what this is, is a image screenshot purportedly from McMahon to this woman, Miss Grant. And it, this doesn't have a context, okay? It's just McMahon. I quote, I love it. That's you, Janelle. You can't get enough. You can't get enough, can you? In the future, it's going to be B so bad that you'll demand to be F'd twice a day and not just with a name that they've blacked out in a three-way. Why not let others see the beautiful, vol voluptuous body and you can watch you shake uncontrollably when you orgasm, with another word. They'll go out of their minds. And it goes on. And so there's more of this in here, and there's a couple of them that are extremely vulgar that would make me uncomfortable to read even on this show like something you'd find in a pornographic movie type of language so that's the kind of crap that mcmahon was apparently sending this woman who by the way was her his employee so there you go sorry so that's he'll crazy claim, he'll claim it was consensual um yeah but that and there's more of them in here. And again, I'm just kind of doing this on the fly. So back to so I didn't mean to divert, but since I made a point of saying it, so there you go. Um, anyway, so Kobe, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to go so far as to call it laundering necessarily. I mean, it, maybe they're spending more than they should. I think the real crime isn't that. But no, that's not true. I mean, if they're literally money laundering, that is a crime. But um, the real sin here is that all these people gave money and they've done absolutely nothing with it productive, essentially. If you've got, how much was it? $27 million? $27 million. Do some major projects. Don't clean up basketball courts. Build a basketball court. Fund a scholarship program for underprivileged children. You know, maybe. You know, any, you know, homelessness. 
you know, um, fund a basketball team for, you know, for, uh, you know, girls basketball teams. There's a lot of things you could do. And when it appears as though they've done none of it, to me, that's the real sin. Sure, I don't disagree, and but it was never going to do that. So there are so many loopholes in the way we run nonprofit structures that allow this to be part of a of a holding, right? So it was always intended to be a pass through. I'll, I'll I'll pull it down from laundering. It was always intended to be a pass through. Um, the idiocy to me is that they didn't. Um, beyond, beyond the do-gooder stuff, the idiocy is that you they didn't know what how to do the bare minimum. Um, it all that's going to happen here is they would get busted down to being labeled as a, a private foundation, which is less of a tax break and so on and so forth. I mean, this is very tax table actuary type of stuff at its core, you know. Um, and so they should have been smart enough to know they have to give away X amount to protect their status. Um, and they should have known, and and they, the the fact if they are in fact surprised that this is hitting the public, they are insane because it's very clear that the stipulations are that this information has to be uh, published uh, publicly. It's much the private company doesn't have to do that. This is a key distinction in the differentiation of the tax status which they have. So everyone was always going to know this and so on two levels both the let's just make sure we tick all the boxes to protect our tax status which to your point would be just give it away to more schools find one recipient and give the amount it would be very easy to check that box and allow the nonprofit to do its real job within their their estate holdings to be a pass through i mean look at anybody that's this level of money they all have these so and then not to know that there would be a public, you know, a black eye, us reading this article, this talking about the story, because it's like, how do you have $27 million and give away 400000 You know, so there's also that. They away 400000 They spent it on expenses. They haven't given yeah, right, away yeah. anything. <laughs> so, so it was just, to me, remarkably dumb that they – and they got a lot of bad advice because this was actually much easier to do, still scammy, and they didn't even do those parts right. Um. And there's an easier way, by the way, you know, if because this was started by Kobe, this foundation. And if the wife, Vanessa, doesn't want to do it, they don't have to do projects. They could have taken this money and given it to another bigger charity, give it all to Catholic charities or whatever, you know, some, uh, you know, established the United Way, something. And they, they could have just liquidated most of it and then it would have been fine and been done. What most people would do or what a common thing is is they do something called a donor advised fund where you take that money and you park it at a bank. Um, and then, you know, it's probably the, the nonprofit wing or, the, you know, part of the bank that manages this. Then they manage that money or some entity it doesn't always have to be a bank, but banks, the easiest one. Um, and they manage them. They actually manage the programmatic use of this of the money. And the reason it's called a donor advised fund is because Kobe Bryant's wife or whatever mechanism on that side would have a 
would be able to help direct, would be the final decider, but there'd basically be an entire staff that would do They have pros that. to manage it and yes. do it. Yes, and that's, you, you say park it, we're going to park it at Bank of America's uh, donor advised fund, and we'll get like a philanthropic banker, money manager, um, who will hire and manage a staff that say, yeah, we're going to we're gonna do midnight basketball in 50 cities. Okay, and they would just put that program through, and they do it, and you know, you check all the boxes. That, that's how, if you really want to do, have that's some- another way. The, that's how you do it. Yeah, I mean, because I'm saying this with all due respect to Vanessa Bryan. I'm not trying to disparage her in any way, and she suffered a tragic loss here. But she's wholly unqualified. She's a high school graduate. She's the wife of a basketball player, and she's most likely wholly unqualified to literally run something like this. You know, uh, and you could bring in Kobe's advisors or whatever, but having like pros, uh, you're kind of saying a different version of what I was saying. Uh, and you know the nonprofit world way better than I do, it, you know. And so that sounds like a reasonable thing to do. And you'd have a whole team of people who do nothing but manage money for a living doing it. You would be getting no trouble whatsoever. There'd be no IRS question. Instead, what we have here is a woman who's probably still grieving the loss of her husband and her child, who now is sitting on twenty-seven million dollars. And it's I'm not going to say secondary, but I guess I am going to say it's maybe it's kind of secondary, you know, in her life. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to disparage her. Don't get me wrong, please. But um, I think that's a problem here. And so she would be wise to do what you're suggesting or, again, what I'm suggesting, which is give it all away or whatever. But that would be by far the best thing. Instead, she got the advice from probably the same lawyers that got this paycheck that said, this is how we're going to manage it. We're going to establish this. We're going to, or we're going to, you know, use this nonprofit for X. We're going to use this LLC for Y um, and we'll pay bills out of X, Y, and Z that way. So she got advice that was sort of almost antithetical to that. It was always, it was always a mechanism for lowering her tax burden. Yeah. Well, yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, you know, a lot of, the fact that there's the Mamba's, what is it, Mamba and Mamba Cena Foundation, that's not that surprising. There's a lot of athletes at his level have things like this. And, and, and I think this applies to charities in general. And this is why you always have to be careful about what you're donating to. Don't just donate to a charity because you like the name behind it. Some charities are really good and they do a, uh, they do a lot with their money. Others do nothing with their money. And this seems to be one that's currently doing nothing with the money. And so there's ways you can – there's many ways. Chris knows this way better than I how to do it. But there's ways to look into exactly how much money they're spending on actual charitable uh, in, uh, activities and then how much they're spending on admin and how much they're just not spending, period. So you got to – I would advise people to – Donate your money to a charity you're confident is doing good, not doing nothing just because it has a big name behind it. A hundred percent. And basically, if you're a nonprofit, you have to publish your tax return. That's essentially what it it boils down to. And, and then and then all the corresponding uh, documentation about that, which then is leadership salaries. I think I think it's anything any any salary above two hundred and twenty five, I think, has to be listed salary and name you know on those filings so yeah you can go you can go see what their an executive director is paid you can go see what their overhead was how and so the, the key thing is how much you a real base number is what is the percentage of money they give away compared to what they have and the federal go. government on those found you know that makes i think it's five those ones like you know 
the big bankers, the robber baron era bankers, or you know, men of, great men of industry of that time, the Rockefellers, et cetera, those foundations are mandated by law to give away 5% of their holdings every year, I believe. Oh, is that the number? Yeah, for that, for that, there are different kinds, but for that kind, you know, your Carnegie Foundation, your Rockefeller Foundation, these ones have been established to last, you know, really centuries. Afford um, the they what's the total holding of that entity um, or corporate entities that are subsidiaries, and then five percent of that net net has to be given away each year to maintain that status. I mean, I think it's kind of sad that generally speaking, you have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a CEO of a of a nonprofit. Uh, you know, but it's a catch twenty two because if you don't spend that much money, you won't attract someone who's uh, capable of managing lots of money, and so it's going to go horribly wrong. So you have to spend that much money to make sure it's run appropriately. So it's not always the worst thing in the world if you're paying somebody two hundred fifty thousand dollars or you know pick your number. I, I think it, you know, and so but the public sees it and goes, "What is this?" But you have to find good people to do it. It's a lot of money, uh, you know. Um, it is no. It's just a. It, this is what. People, and I, you know, I, I, maybe I'm being overly cynical about my own industry, but people assume or see nonprofit and they think doing public good, and this that's what it's supposed to do, um, and in, in many cases does. I don't want to disparage that, but it really is just a different set of rules about running a endeavor, an entity, a project, a company. Um, and the tax, how we collect and assign tax. So it's really just a different set of rules to manage business. Yeah, and I work with these nonprofit developers every day too in my capacity. And uh, they're business savvy. They have to be because it is it is business. It's just business for the public good essentially, but it is just business. Uh, you yeah, know, you, you can look, but look at, you can look at, if you want to donate, um, First of all, you know, the Hogstyle, we'll take your donation. We're not a charity, but, you know, I'll take it if you want to give us money. You know, I'm kidding. Duh, please don't do that. But, um, no, anyway, uh, look at the percentage of money spent on administrative costs and then look at how much, you know, money they're actually donating. Um, those two are easy to find. And so, you you know, there are charities that aren't really scams but aren't doing anything. And this Mamba Foundation seems to be one, maybe for understandable reasons, but it is. So, there you go. The, the last I'll bore our audience with is the ethical standard is that usually 8 to 10% of the money that is given away should be tagged for admin. How 10%? About 10% of the money. So if it's $100,000 uh, that you're trying to give away, ten you, you need 10,000 uh, of that to manage the process of giving it away. Um. Yeah, and by the way, if you want, there's an easy way to look at this. Like the combined federal campaign, which is the the federal government campaign, um, they publish um, materials every year where it lists all this stuff. There's probably Chris. There's probably other ways, but that's where. Yeah, I go to if you really want to look it up. Candid can c a n d i d dot org. A couple services that did this merged into that company, but GuideStar, which is one of those companies that merged, was the one. I think you can probably Google that and still get to the place where you can look that. I mean, you just look them up. Now, it takes sometimes it takes a while. So sometimes the most recent one you can look at maybe right now is like 21, 22. Like it's not like a, it's not real time. But, you know, you just look, you go into one of these services, you look up United Way, right? And you could, you know, you'd get. You know, you basically get the United Way's tax, U.S. tax filings for the history of their existence. 
Yeah. Um, so there's lots of ways. But it, just to conclude this, my parting thought here is I think this is really sad. You know, I was a huge Kobe Bryant fan, you know, but my second favorite basketball player ever behind Magic Johnson. Um, and I really hate to see his legacy get tarnished by allegations that the charity that's in his name is either not doing anything or spending you know money inappropriately. It's really sad. And I hope to think that Vanessa Bryant can find people who can get it together and make it right. Cause I don't like it. And if you run youth recreation services in uh, the United States, this would be a good time to reach out to this foundation because I'm guessing that they're, they're going to be putting uh, more money out the door here in the next couple of years. Really quick because <laughs> they have to. <laughs> so if, if you're a development officer for uh, one, of, uh, one of these kinds of services, you start doing your desk research now. <laughs> Call Vanessa Bryant. Or her, yeah. or her people, <laughs> or the law firm, the the law firm listed in in the article. <laughs> They'll definitely take your call. <laughs> All right, Steve. So we probably have run our course today. Um, and what, I'm sorry, this was a little bit janky of a show because I was going back and forth with the. It's petition. fine. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm going to give you though, Steve. Give us your quick. I'm, I'm give us your quick rant on the baseball Hall of Fame. I, I do want to hear your. You know your your two minute editorial. Okay, we were skipping. We were we had a baseball Hall of Fame story because the the Hall of Fame came out. Um, two, I have a problem with two things about the baseball Hall of Fame. Number one, the voting process. What it does is it takes a certain number of of people who've been in the Baseball Writers Association of America a long time, like ten years, and they vote. Um, and so there's like four hundred something of these baseball writers uh, voting. And I don't like the whole concept of writers being the ones voting, being especially the only ones, more or less, or most of them, because the writers have agendas. They're not athletes. They're just journalists. They don't like that. Um, and, and so the other part of it, again, there's a much longer rant with all this, but the other thing is, I don't know how, at the end of the day, a Hall of Fame is just a history museum. Uh, you really, you know, it's not that serious. And I think the idea that the Baseball Hall of Fame has excluded the greatest hitter in the history of baseball, and I say this as a Dodger fan, but Barry Bonds is the greatest hitter in the history of baseball, and it was well as excluded one of the top five pitchers ever to play the game in Roger Clemens, basically because they're a-holes and they don't like them, is, I think, eliminates all credibility that this institution had. There was a way to put them in the Hall of Fame with the notation that there were allegations of steroid use made against both of them. But instead, they've excluded them. And so now you have the history of baseball being told about two of the very greatest players ever to play because they just were not nice guys. And I think that's ridiculous. Uh, a few minutes. Uh, uh, love him or hate him, a good example of uh, this is that I believe in the Washington, D.C. DMV area, Tom Lavero is one of the major uh, baseball writers. So There you there's, go. There's... Perfect. That guy has got more agendas than anybody out there. He's a terrible writer. He's, he seems to be a grouch and just an awful guy. You wouldn't want to have dinner with him. Those are the people, and there's hundreds, of, there's 400-something of these people. They're not objective at all. I, I, I think they need to completely scrap 
the baseball hall of fame voting system and start over from scratch. That's my, I think it's the only major hall of fame where it's solely writer driven. Yeah. Well, the NFL hall of fame has gone to more of a balance recently, but they don't have nearly as many either. Cause there's you know, like, um, you know, uh, um, Mike Greenberg from ESPN back when he had the, the, um, what was that show called with Mike Golick? Um, Whatever that show, the Rays radio show. I used to be a religious everyday listener to that. At one point, he said, Greenberg, that he had been invited to be a voter. Now, Greenberg, by his own admission, he said he declined the offer because he's not a baseball guy at all. He's just a bloviator on ESPN. He doesn't have advanced knowledge of the game at all, but they invited him to be a voter. And that kind of tells you about who some of these 400 people are. Of which, like, Tom Lavera would also fall into that category. What the hell does that guy know? <laughs> I, I knew that would Tom. be extra, extra spark. I like you, Tom Lavera, but I, I, I thought that was a good example of, of Steve's point. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, well, there you go. Baseball Hall of Fame, let Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in, I guess. I don't know. You don't care about the steroids? You can do it and you could say, because you tell the history of the game, this man has the best statistics ever of any baseball player ever. And then you put a line in there that says there were our allegations of steroid use made against Barry Bonds. That's what you, you tell the story accurately. I think that you, the, the point you make that these are history museums, they're not hallowed halls is, you know, like yes. is, is like, you know, like, come on. Um, the rotunda in the Capitol building, you know, for God's sake. Right. Um, if they do put Barry Bonds in, then I want to see all of the armor. They got, you know, the, the chin guards and the arm, guard, you know, in those last couple of years when he basically looked like a knight of the round table. <laughs> and yeah, he is. Um, for those of you wondering, he's past the normal period now. Right, he'd have to be a veteran entry. Yeah, there's some veterans committee thing, and there's a couple of them. That's where he's in now. He's not going to get in. No. Nope. All right. Well, with that, Steve, uh, quick, give an update on the Hogsty. As uh, you know, probably this week. You, you, well, it depends on how things play out, but you, you might have some news this week. We might have some news this week. Um, of course, what Chris is talking about is Washington may may have a head coach. Um, signed up, and if that is true, then we will certainly cover that on the Hogside Podcast, which is released every Thursday, and we have all of our regular written content every other day. All right. Well, we will see you in two weeks.